welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics. Matthew Collar here and joining me on the show from Yahoo Sports, the draft expert, Eric Edholm. What is up? My man, what's going on? Well, I wanted to give you time. I wanted to give you time to process. I knew you're very busy right after the draft. A lot of people want to talk with you, get your takeaways yeah. for how things played out. So I said, let me give you some space. Let me give you some OTA time to Ooh. see what everybody's reporting and and, like and really and really breathe it in. Get the full draft in your lungs. And then now we can discuss how you feel about the Vikings draft. But we also have to talk about something else, which is what's that off in the distance that I hear? Oh, that's the Jordan Love hype train. And, yeah. and look and look who's driving it. It's Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. No, I'm just kidding. But you <laughs> but you wrote a great piece about what the Utah State coaches are saying about Jordan Love. And I yeah. and I want and I want you to tell me like what's what's a reasonable place for Vikings fans to be as it pertains to Aaron Rodgers not being in Green Bay and their natural fear that Jordan Love could also be good. Yeah, wouldn't that be terrible for, for Vikings fans? Like Justin Fields balls out in Chicago and Jordan Love and, it, you know, somehow Jared Goff has a rebirth season, you know, and gives them a little bit of a positional envy, I guess. That that would require a lot, all those things happening. But, but the Love situation obviously is so fascinating for a zillion reasons, right? I mean, in a perfect world, he would – they would give him a ton of reps this summer – Rodgers would roll up in a in a, a white Rolls Royce, you know, with a, take his cape off and and take the field week one. I mean, that would be, and and people would move on quickly from the the the, the spat, right? Whatever the the disagreement is between the Packers and Rodgers, but that perfect world may not exist, Matthew. I don't, I don't, and again, it's like you know, Rodgers has to put a a strong front up and act like he's you know sort of you know, as, as pissed as he is and everything and stay away and do things he hasn't done before. I mean, he's never missed a minicamp before mandatory minicamp in 16 years, but um, it, it, it may end up being a really good thing for love in the sense that he got zero set snaps last year, zero meaningful snaps, no preseason games, limited reps in practice. He was the number three quarterback he was probably doing scout team duty. You know, there's not much to do with that. I mean, there's there's no development. But is there talent there? Yes. And is, you know, you, know, you and I do these things where we talk to coaches and they're always going to stick up for their guys or most times they are, you know. But they're, they're praised for them. Two different staffs, Mike, Mike Wells, or I mean, uh, uh, Matt Wells, excuse me, for, who's now at Texas Tech. And then Mike Sanford, who was his OC the next year, is now at Minnesota. You guys obviously know very well. I mean, both of them were effusive in their praise, more so than I thought they would be, uh, especially for a player who had a really you know up and down college career. And uh, it's always interesting. It's like a fun exercise to try to read between the lines of yeah. the compliments. And that's one of my favorite things to do. Like I, I called Laquan Treadwell's position coach when he was first – um, sort of, you know, coming along in training camp and he was like, yeah, well, you know, Laquan is great. He came back from that injury and he's a super hard worker. And I was like, okay, well, you know, what, what could, uh, what's he need to work on basically? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, you know, when a route is 10 yards, you got to kind of hit it at 10 yards. I was like, oh, wow. Ding, there ding, ding. Go. That's, 
that is going to be a problem uh, <laughs> if you can't get 10 yard routes to 10 yards as a wide receiver. Yeah. And lo, lo and behold, that was the main issue with Treadwell, other than you know his lack of straight line speed, but he just couldn't get the route details right. And and so what what is that for for Jordan Love? Because we hear about his athleticism, his yeah. arm strength, and that kind of thing, like all of his physical tools, but at the same time, his last year at Utah State was just not good. And I will I just will never buy it. And I know maybe Josh Allen's proving us wrong a little bit. But if you don't produce in college, I always have a tough time being like, oh, but you see, it was this, 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 and the other thing. Dude, you're at Utah State, though, right? So right. so how do, you, how do you balance what they're saying about the tools and reading between the lines with the coaches and what uh, could undo Jordan Love? Yeah, and I think the 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 Josh Allen comp, at least as far as you know production and things like that, is very apt because you know Josh Allen played pretty well as a junior, not so well as a senior. Same kind of pattern that that Love had as well. And you know, it was interesting because you know even though both Wells and Sanford have moved on to, from to other places and are you know twice removed from that job and everything, uh, you know, it, they were very hesitant to kind of throw some of the teammates under the bus you couldn't help but notice he was not working with a good offensive line there. I mean, it just wasn't a great group. They they lost, I think, three starters from the year before, maybe four, I can't remember off the top of my head. They lost probably the best Mountain West tight end at the time, Dax Raymond. Um, the the running back who ended up playing for the Chiefs, I'm just blanking on his name right now, uh, uh, Thompson. Um, yeah, whatever. But, uh, you know, so some, some significant losses – and also a wide receiver who was a guy I think he hit for like, you know, 50, 60 balls that year, the year before. So it was clear that both of them were kind of hinting that, hey, you know, one year's team isn't quite like the next. So I think they were definitely pointing out to the fact that Jordan felt like he had to carry a lot on his shoulders. But to your point of looking between the lines, both of them kind of talked about riding that that fine line of implementing the the fundamentals a good throwing base a good throwing motion you know when it's a clean pocket you got to have those things if you're under duress under stress outside the pocket you know things are breaking down yeah you then you can manipulate the arm angles and do all that fancy Mahomes stuff right and he has that kind of ability but I think he forces it too much where you know he's falling away or he's throwing off his back foot or he's you know slinging at sidearm when he doesn't have to and Aaron Rodgers can get away with that dude you know Mahomes is a, a unicorn we're not going to compare anybody to him Jordan Love probably needs to be that fundamental guy except when when things turn to hell on offense and so I think that was probably the closest thing to what you're talking about is you know the the, the backhanded compliment if you will he can do it we just don't want him doing it quite as much as, as he thinks he needs to. Right. And so there's a PFF stat that's really interesting that uh, off schedule throws, yeah. they track those for every player. And the league average is 5% of throws are off schedule. And Mahomes, I think, is at 10%. And naturally, because, you know, he kind of does that. But that means that only one out of every 10 Patrick Mahomes throws right. is off schedule. And so if you're not Mahomes, or even, you know, Aaron Rodgers or any of the quarterbacks who could do this really well, um, you're probably like Johnny Manziel or something, just trying <laughs> back there to like do whatever the hell, which works fine in college, but does not work in the NFL. Most of your throws are on time. They're drop back. 
their play action there. You have to read it the yeah. way it's exactly read. And I, I know this from Kirk Cousins because he's the ultimate kind of execute this type of quarterback is that his details on his footwork and everything for every single concept have to be exactly right for him to be the, where he is in the NFL. And I, I just don't think that you can effectively play quarterback from a week to week basis and be really good without all of that. I mean, even Rogers last year, like he's running this Matt LaFleur play action type of offense. Mm -hmm. And he's most, he's mostly executing the throws he's supposed to make. And then one out of 10 times he does something special. So that right there is like when love was coming out, the criticisms to me were just the ones that you don't want to hear. Well, he's not super accurate. He doesn't have the technical ability, that kind of thing. And usually, or the statistical you know, numbers either, usually those things are big red flags. And then you have the fact that he was the number three quarterback. I, I want to know what you make of that, because my feeling is he probably should have been the number two quarterback if he's a first round draft pick. He should be able right. to beat out Tim Boyle, I would think. Yeah, I think they felt like that what I've gathered, you know, talking to some people is that they felt like without getting, let's say, 80, 90 throws in the preseason or whatever, you know, 60, 70 at the very least without getting a normal kind of off season. I mean, they didn't have many camps or OTAs last year. We we can't reasonably ask him to be the week one, number two. Fair, right? I think everybody would agree. Okay, let's give him some time to catch up, absorb this thing. But by season's end, he wasn't good enough. And Tim Boyle, by the way, is somebody they let walk this off season. So it wasn't like they had some special backup, you know, right? Or an overpaid Chase Daniel or whatever, you know. It's not that kind of deal. So for him to have been the number three for all 17 weeks in the playoffs makes you kind of wonder, geez, did he just was he unable to catch up because he never got the reps? It was sort of a chicken and egg thing or, or, you know, were they just fine with, with uh, Tim Boyle and saying, okay, Rogers is probably going to stay healthy. And if we lose him, we're losing the season anyway. So uh, yeah, it's a fair question to ask, you know, to go from three to one, like he has is a little bit unusual. And, but then again, last year was so strange for everybody, especially rookies. Yeah, no, that's true. Something Mike Zimmer said a few years ago about a guy who was competing for a backup spot really stuck with me. And I never thought of it this way before, but he said, the guy can't get people lined up. Right. And it's like, yeah, this thing is complicated. Right. Um, and, and it's, you're just asking so much of the quarterback that if you can't get every single detail and line up people the same way or the right way for your scheme every single time, they can't have you as the backup because then if you go in, then you're going to have confusion. And this is, and we'll get to this, but this I think is the reason that Kellen Mond right now is QB four for the Vikings in their OTAs is because Jake Browning knows how to line them up when they send in a play call and they don't have to stand there and go, no, it's not like that. It's like this kind of thing. And so, you know, you, you, you can only put in the reps that he is, um, you know, he's feeling comfortable with. So how, how do you think, because everyone has to have their take on this, right? Like, how do you think this plays out? Because actually when you said he kind of rolls up in the Rolls Royce and starts week one is that's how I think of it. I, I think yeah. that uh, that Rogers is going to need Mason Crosby to fly out to his house and convince him, <laughs> yeah. but, but I think he will, do it. I think he loves this part of it. He's sort of loving this. I'm going to like up my legend here. I'm going to, you know, hold out and then just say, all right, guys, 
here I come just, you know, in, in Farvian type of fashion. That's how I think it plays out. How do you think it goes? Yeah. It, it, you know, if we use public sentiment as some sort of barometer, it doesn't feel like there is the massive overwhelming support. I mean, like, you know, obviously Ted Thompson became a kind of a goat for, for, you know, the Favre situation, a lot of people did turn their ire on him, whether it was fair or not, I don't know, but it felt pretty slanted. This one feels a little bit more balanced. I don't think people are, you know, Packers fans are against Rodgers, but uh, it doesn't feel quite as vitriolic as it was before against Thompson as it is with Gutekunst. So, you know, maybe that works against Aaron a little bit. I don't know, but certainly if he did that, opinions would change pretty quickly. And I think everybody would be like, Whew, okay, we avoided that one, but it almost certainly would be his last year, I think, if, if that happened. I think he would just say, all right, I'm not sitting out my age 37 year. I'm going to go play and just know where my stance is, and we're not going through this again, right? We're going to agree that you've now had a year and a half, year, you know, two years to, to develop love. Good luck with that. I'm going to go out west and hang out with my wife, and, and you guys figure it out. But yes. I, you know, could I absolutely see, you know, the 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 day before the third preseason game or whatever, some late development, or he rolls into camp a week late or something? Sure, it wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, it, we've seen stuff like that before, so that that to me still feels like the most likely uh, answer. I really, really doubt he would sit out the entire offseason. Right, That's and I. Yeah. I I also think that they're not trading him unless it becomes Carson Palmer E where it's very clear. The guy's actually serious. Yeah. Um, so one, one other thing on, on this, if Rogers does play for the Packers this year, and then they've used two years of Jordan loves rookie contract. Uh, and, and I mean, who knows how it will turn out? Maybe he's great. Maybe he's okay. Maybe he's bad. Right. But fundamentally, I ha- I feel like I should be questioning this a little bit because the the rookie contract is just like the golden ticket in the NFL yeah. and now you've messed up your salary cap situation to push all the chips in with Rodgers to keep everybody and pay Bakhtiari and everything else. And and you know you're hoping to kind of resolve that with Jordan Love once Aaron Rodgers is gone, but mm. then you've got just this tiny little window of a guy being on his rookie contract because you use two of those years to mess around, you know, and continue to have Aaron Rodgers. I wonder about how you feel about that because like everyone loves the, Oh, sit a guy for a year and then put him in like Mahomes to Alex Smith. But you're sort of limiting yourself where you better do it in those couple of years. If the guy is good, because otherwise we see what a problem that could be if it's not Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, for first round picks, you get a four year deal plus the fifth year option year one's been wiped out year two if Rodgers comes back theoretically would be would be wiped out in terms of not him him not starting and now you're banking on him playing well in 2022 as the starter presumptive we're just going you know theoretically here and then that summer you have to decide whether you're gonna you know get that fifth year option and give it to him probably would even unless he was absolutely abysmal but still like to your point it shortens the the amount of time. It lessens the information you have on a player. Granted, most coaches privately will tell you that they kind of know whether a guy's got it or not. But at the same time, it, you know, having that on-field experience is going to be crucial, obviously, and whenever it comes. So, yeah, it really is tough to 
it, it rarely seems to work out as beautifully, as perfectly as that Smith Mahomes thing did. Everybody uses that as the template. Here's our plan. Well, you know what it is about best laid plans. They, they go to hell fast. So absolutely agree that it's, it's a tricky line. And I think it was, it's not going to always work out the way you hope. All you need is the guy to be the MVP in his first right. starting year. Like, right. I mean, no it's, big just, deal. Right. Yeah. it's just that easy. Just snap your fingers. Well, uh, and, and, you know, with someone like Jared Goff, he got his ass kicked the first year, but he learns how to play NFL football. So then he comes back the second year and he's got some experience of being on the field. So I've always felt like uh, you could sort of make the case either way based on just, there's so, there's so many examples to draw from. Uh, but the Mahomes one and even the Rogers one, they both feel like kind of outlier situations. Yeah. Um, let's, and love, uh, real quick. I mean, love his fresh redshirt freshman year waited and then start at the end of the year. Didn't play great. Wasn't terrible. And that helped him build towards 2018 when he broke out. So yeah, didn't mean to step on your toes there. No, no, that's okay. Yeah. And then, so sometimes I, I even remember this going way back of like how bad Donovan McNabb looked right away. Absolutely. And it's like, Oh my gosh, this might be, cause I followed him at Syracuse and they had great, the great team with him. And it's like, well, I wanted him to succeed. And I remember watching him for the first couple of times being like, Oh no, maybe I was Ooh. way wrong. And then he turns out to be a really good quarterback. So, yep. Yep. um, let's stay with the quarterback thing and, and Kellen Mond. Yeah. And um, now he is QB four and OTAs. What my thought on this is like, yeah, he's got to learn like how to take a snap under center at right. this point. Right. There's like so far he has to go, but uh, what, what do you, what did, what did you think of Mond as a prospect and sort of what the NFL ultimately thought about him being a third round pick because there was the whole like, Oh, Chris Sims thinks he's good. And some people think he's better than Mac Jones. And, and it bared out that the NFL did not even remotely a- agree with that. But what was your take uh, on Mond kind of going into the draft and, and your thought on where he got picked? Yeah, really kind of an interesting player in some respects, obviously he came in to the NFL with 40 plus starts, you know, that was, you know, you don't see that very often these days. So that certainly, you know, is appealing from an evaluation standpoint, you can measure growth. I mean, he was starting as a, as a freshman um, and then started every game after that. I believe he may have missed one along the way, but obviously great physical skills. He he has a a terrific arm. He can, he can throw fastballs. He's going to, he's got a better arm than Kirk Cousins does obviously. And um, you know, a better running threat. He's, he's good on design runs, but you know, and, and Jimbo Fisher, I mean, the thing with him is that, he, he made guys like EJ Manuel and Christian Ponder look like first round picks. You know, he somehow <laughs> turned those guys, you know, Jameis Winston, the first overall pick. I mean, he, he made those guys look better than they were. So I was a little bit surprised that Mon didn't take those proverbial next steps. Did he get better each year? Yeah. By a marginal amount. You know, I mean, I think from 2018 to 19, yeah, you saw maybe small jumps, little improvements, you know, a little better ball security, those sorts of things, and a little higher completion percentage, you know, certain elements of his game evolved. And he completed a higher percentage, I think, every year or close to that. But you never felt like he made that that big jump. And if he would have done it, he would have done it by now. I mean, he's still relatively young. I mean, he's not one of, for a guy who started as a freshman. He was 18 years old at the time. So, I mean, impressive that he could get in as, as young as he was. But if you turn on the 2018 tape and the 2020 tape, 
I don't know that other than the Florida game this year, which was great. I, I don't know that there was a big difference. So it's some of it is like, he's, he's all fastball, not enough touch throws. You know, that's, that's something that, that I think he could, he could improve upon. Um, I think the athleticism you can use in spots, if you want to have a, a change up package, that sort of thing, just to get him some experience but he went about where I expected. You know, I, I I knew he'd go either round two or three based on conversations I had. And that's sort of where, where he landed. And that's sort of what I expected. Hey, everyone. Summer is here and you're trying to get out on the golf course. But if you're like us here at Purple Insiders, spending all day golfing isn't always an option. That's why you need to check out Birdie Golf in Woodbury. I'll give you an example. My wife is new to golf and she's intimidated by the big courses, but at Birdie Golf, she could come and play without the pressure. You can make golf a family experience at Birdie Golf. Bring the kids, still get all of your swings in. They have eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and still have a great time. I've heard from several listeners to the show who have tried out Birdie Golf and absolutely loved it. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights. And every time Sam and I show up at Birdie Golf to record our podcast, we always get the boneless wings. Make golf a night out. It's the perfect place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, and even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive away from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro at birdiegolf.com, B-I-R-D-I golf.com. Call 651-998-2200 today, and I'll see you there. Folks, if you are pumped up about how the Vikings did in the draft and now the schedule's out, it is a great time to get yourself a Skull Flag or Bud Grant shirt. And of course, there's much, much more if you go to sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Check them all out. And if you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. And if you're ready for the summer months, we're going to have hockey playoffs so you can get your dollar bill krill shirts. And if you're a golfer, you have to see the Minnesota golf hats. They are classic. All of Soda Sticks apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Follow them, Soda Stick Co. on Twitter. Go to SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. What's interesting to me about Mond is is trying to talk about sort of ceiling with Kellen Mond because when you watch his pro day or you look at his 40 or things like that or just his his basic arm strength, you would sort of say, oh, a great athlete with a really good arm. So his ceiling must be super high. But with the amount of starts that he had in college and the limited you know, performances that he had or, or uh, uh, production, limited production that he had and the inconsistency of the performances that he had, it's really hard to say, oh, well, there's this massive ceiling for the guy and they got a boomer bust prospect. To me, he's almost like a guy who I would say is, is more likely to have a high floor, but a limited ceiling and be, you know, oh, this guy could be like a solid backup quarterback or the 20th best quarterback in the league if everything comes together. Like, right. I, I, don't, I don't tie those things together necessarily of, oh, he's got a strong arm and he's fast. So the ceiling must be high. Like there's lots of guys with strong arms who are fast, but I think the, sure. the, the, the lack of like, this is a, this might be a weird thing to say. 
because uh, draft people are always so detailed about, oh, he's got hand placement and footwork, but he just, he like, doesn't really look the part sometimes. Like, oh, where yeah. he, you know what I mean? Like he just, it looks like a guy, uh, maybe there's a comparison of a baseball pitcher who played shortstop and is sort of coming into pitch. And that's kind of how it looks to me where it just doesn't have that visual. Oh, this guy is a first round type of talent, or this guy is clearly an NFL starting quarterback. There's something about that. Even when I watch him in OTAs, I'm like, it just doesn't look like what Kirk cousins is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the comparison I I've heard the most and I don't know that he's quite the athlete, but the comparison that I heard the, you know, I think more than once uh, in talking to people was Colin Kaepernick. Mm. So I don't think he's got quite the upside of what Kaepernick was in that Super Bowl season. But, you know, as a passer, I think there are some real similarities there. And, you know, you look at Kaepernick's college starts, he started, he played a lot of football in, at Nevada and he was, you know, relatively unknown. I mean, not, you know, compared to some of the other quarterbacks in that class, but, uh, even Andy Dalton, I think, was a more of a household name coming into the draft than Kaepernick was. But that's kind of the player he is. He's a little bit robotic in how he throws sometimes and, um, you know, looks a little kind of skittish when the pressure comes. And you're right, it has that, I don't want to say unnatural look, but there are times when he looks a little a little rigid and a little stiff and a little bit uncomfortable in, in the pocket. But, you know, without – I mean, while lacking maybe that special running ability that Kaepernick had, I think you could see some similarities to what Kaepernick became as a thrower, you know, and also taking away from the fact that, well, because he was a good runner, maybe teams didn't play as much man defense against them, that sort of thing. You know, that's, that's fair. But I would say that that's the player he probably most reminded me of um, in terms of throwing the football and, you know, Kaepernick wasn't always pretty, you know, it didn't always look like it should or look like other quarterbacks. So I think it it's apt in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I like that for the throwing. Um, but it's sort of like Kaepernick, I think had a stronger arm cause he threw a baseball like 97 yeah. miles an hour or something. And it's like, if you say, well, he's sort of Kaepernick without the prolific running ability, that was pretty fundamental to him being what he, what he no became. Doubt. Right. So yeah. uh, I kind of look at him like if he becomes anything more than someone who could be a solid backup, then they've, then they've really hit the lottery, but I'm not sure that I see that upside. Now, let me ask you about the decision not to draft Mac Jones, because there's been many wide uh, varying opinions on the show. Mine is if you want to replace Kirk cousins, take a first round quarterback and see how it works out because none of us are actually good at predicting which first round quarterbacks are going to work out, but yep. the NFL knows and identifies correctly who the first round quarterbacks are, if that makes sense. So that's sort of the nuance of, you know, some people thought, Ooh, why do you love Mac Jones so much? Won't you marry him? And like, okay, well that's not what I'm saying. Um, but how did you feel about their decision to pass on Mac Jones? Yeah, it, it was interesting, right? I mean, I, I didn't necessarily, think about the pairing of those two. I know they had looked at them and everything, but I, it, it wasn't until the trade happened that I thought, oh, that, that could work out pretty nicely, right? You know, it was Jones, some people thought could go as high as number three. You know, now he's, he's floating out there. You know, would, would it make some sense? Sure, absolutely. But um, with Jones, I always felt like he kind of had to land in the right place. To, to really kind of get him into that perfect situation to where 
you know, and New England would have been one of them, I think, just because they're their strong defense and Belichick and McDaniels and all that. I mean, you know, those are all things that I think are going to work uh, in his favor or whatever. So I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I sat there and thought, on the one hand, they got such good value to, to move down. I got it. But at the same time, those quarterbacks uh, might cost you more uh, when you're trying to trade for one later. And th- there's so few opportunities to actually get one. So I'm a little bit ambivalent. I mean, I'm not saying he couldn't have thrived in Minnesota. I mean, would it have been the perfect place? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I, th- I think in the end, they just felt like, boy, we, we got a really nice value moving down what, you know, eight spots or whatever they did. I don't know what it was, nine to get what they did. It's pretty good. So it, it may end up working out, but I get why you want the quarterback and I get why you like Jones. Well, I, I think that it's more for me about you don't have that many opportunities to get one with your pick. And mm-hmm. what we see with Washington is they drafted one with their pick and it blew up in their face and they're fine. Like their roster's good. And whoever the next quarterback after Fitzpatrick is going to inherit a great roster that they built like first round picks blow up. Sometimes it doesn't ruin your franchise. If you trade up three first round draft picks and then do it, which you might have to do next year, if you want right. to replace cousins, like that's, that's my point is that you could always just, assess Jones for a year. Is this our franchise guy? And if the answer is no, you just take someone else. So yep. that, that was, that was kind of um, my feeling and, on that. And a lot of people, I think that's the prevailing, you know, Pete Thamel, my, my colleague at Yahoo wrote a great column. I think it was either right before round one or right after basically saying that, Oh yeah, you know, this is a notable year, five quarterbacks round one, but get used to it. This is the new way it's going to be where teams decide you know, I'd rather use the first round pick, gamble on potential greatness or potential top 15, 20 starter. If it's wrong, look, Sam Darnold, Dan Darnold got traded and they got, you know, 75 cents on the dollar back or 60 cents on the dollar back, whatever it ended up being. It wasn't horrible. They just missed and now they move on. So that's going to be the new model is just draft one every few years if you don't already have one right exactly and so with Kellen Mond I thought the pick was kind of a signal like hey Kirk we're thinking about your future but it wasn't a super serious player who could take his job anytime soon Um, and maybe that was the hesitation that was what I was going to ask you about the fields thing too that um, they reportedly wanted to trade up with Carolina to take Justin Fields, but they weren't really willing to go all the way in on that. And I know you and I had discussed Fields before and how widely varying the opinions were on him around the NFL. But, you know, not only did you not trade up for Fields because you didn't want to go all in on this idea of the next quarterback, but then the team in your division gets him and you're sort of used to them not having good quarterbacks for their entire existence. So now it it almost feels like a, like a double L, even though, like you said, if you take this out of the equation, I think they handled the first round brilliantly with being able to get a a potential franchise left tackle and extra draft capital. Yeah. And that's the thing. I I had a hard time. I think my draft grade for the, for the Vikings, I think you gave me a little bit of guff for this was, was what C plus or B minus. And what I acknowledged was in a perfect world, they'd have Justin Fields and everybody would say, wow, this is crazy. You know, they, they got this guy and, and it just sort of fell perfectly, you know, the way it worked out. Um, but I also think at the same time, it's hard to really knock them too hard because of the way they work. 
I wasn't the biggest Darisaw fan. Like I liked him. It was it was easy to see why people liked him. Do I think he's going to be Jonathan Ogden? No, I don't. I really don't. But to get the trade value they did and to get a theoretically a top 20 player at number 22, three or four, wherever they ended up, I thought was, was pretty darn savvy just from that standpoint. So it's, it's tough to lose fields or not get them. And then also have to face them twice a year at some point. I like them a lot. I think that there were some teams that had some questions, but there were a lot that actually did like them. I don't think that, I think the the media reaction the fan reaction to the field slander that was going on out there. I really, I never quite heard it. And I called a lot of people on him and I know some people at Ohio state. I said, come on, tell me like who, who, who hates him? And the guy was like, nobody, I'm not really sure where this is coming from. I, I just think that there may be some preferences team by team. We like this one better. We think Zach Wilson has a higher ceiling, whatever. So it was fascinating to see it kind of play out, but I don't think it was quite that people were quite as down on him in the NFL as everyone wanted to make it seem. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. Yeah, and someone else told me that there were some teams that have concerned about the epilepsy thing. I don't know if that's yeah, I don't know if that's a thing or not. I'm not a I can tell you a little. But... Yeah, I mean couple, I know at least two teams that said it was a non-issue. They cleared them. Medical information, as you know, this year was really tricky to get just because yep. of the, the lack of a combine. They had the recheck and all that. Is it a thing? Yes. But Tiki Barber, Rondé Barber, several other players have had it. They kind of grew out of it. Medications helped, that sort of thing. With Fields' condition, there was an incident that happened. I think it was sort of shortly after he arrived, maybe like spring practice of, of 19, um, where he, I think it was, he suffered a, a, an epileptic seizure. Um, but that that was the only incident that people could remember that, that I, you know, and everything was controlled after that. So I, like I said, I know of at least two teams that were interested in quarterbacks who said we're not concerned about it. I didn't hear any that were. We'll see. Uh, so do you think that the Vikings offensive line is fixed now? I think it's all set. We're good. Wyatt Davis, Christian Derrissaw. Yeah. A couple other high right. draft picks. Wrap it up. Right. No, you're all set. No, I mean, <laughs> I, who, is Davis going to be the right guard? You tell me. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I don't know what the what the plan is, but. If Davis can't beat the guy who is currently the first team right guard, then just pack it in. Like <laughs> it's it's a bust. I mean this. Like if he can't beat this guy, yeah. it's a bust. 
It's immediately. Yeah, I would declare it a bust as a rookie because he should be able to steamroll right past Dakota Dozier. And I, ex- <laughs> I was going to ask you who it was. Yeah, I ex- and I expect that he will do that. And so now think about it. And you've probably talked about this, written about this, but Darisaw, first round pick. Ezra Cleveland, second round pick. Garrett Bradbury, first rounder. Wyatt was a second or third? Third. Yep. Third, third. rounder. Brian O'Neill second rounder. So they've invested quite a bit in that position, as you know, in the last two, three years, it better be right. I mean, that really obviously becomes a a major issue if it isn't. And, you know, chemistry issues and and all that notwithstanding, I mean, the talent should be there. Um, You know, we'll see. I mean, Wyatt Davis was, I don't know. He, I mean, I like him a lot. I didn't think he played his best last year. You know, I think we saw a little bit better from him previously but you know it it was a shortened season maybe there was something else going on behind the scenes that we don't know about I mean I think he suffered an injury last year I want to say it was like a yeah it was the knee right that's right he suffered the knee injury and it really kind of plagued him down the stretch last three or four games wasn't quite the same so that had a little something to do with it too but you know I mean he's he's one of those guys who Plays through pain, is tough, really well-built, strong guy. Is he probably a right guard only? Maybe. But I I really think, uh, you know, he could end up being a pretty good one. And I think the NFL is undervaluing guards because a lot lot of the pressure – is now coming from the interior. A lot of teams are taking guys who would have been defensive ends of the past and putting them over the guard. And we've seen the bad side of that for the Vikings, but also seen the good side when they had someone like Sheldon Richardson of just how disruptive those players could be. And And I feel like it was sort of left tackle is just the guy. And then everyone else you figure out, but I think that that's changing a little bit and the NFL hasn't quite caught up. So one more thing, uh, if there was a guy who was not drafted in the first or third round for the Vikings. Well, let's just say not named Darisaw or Wyatt Davis, put it that way, that made an impact right away. And from the Vikings draft, who would it be? Mm, good question. I got to sort of mentally roll through my, uh, for, for year one, you're talking. I'm talking about this year that would sort of, I mean, yeah. anybody would surprise us. That's not a first okay. round draft pick or, or Wyatt Davis. Right. So anyone that you could say like, oh, wow, that guy kind of stepped into the limelight a little bit because of an injury and then ended up being good. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's a, okay. So I'll give you two that I think that I think have a chance. And I, I forget how to say his name. Kiki and what in Wangwu, I guess, or I'm, I don't know if I'm close on that or not, but nope, the, not really. No. Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh right. kenne wongwu is how you say it wongwu okay there yeah. you go All the right. end is silent yep and i was late on him i didn't really sort of get hip to him till about march and a guy a special teams coordinator that i know pretty well said you gotta check this kid out he's a phenomenal athlete the week later he had the, the great pro day but the more i watched the more i thought you know this might be a player who ends up being pretty valuable so obviously the special teams value is there you know, I think he could probably work up to being on a, a change up number two kind of runner at some point in his career. So he's one that I think might surprise some people just in terms of contributions and that sort of thing. I mean, heck, uh, you know, they got Jalen Twyman, who, you know, I think there were some people at this time last year saying, 
possible first round pick. Where do they get him in round five or six? So six, yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, that's somebody who I have no idea what kind of a player they're getting truly, but th- there was some buzz on him prior to last year. And, you know, his teammate, Patrick Jones, early in the year, I mean, his energy was frenetic. I think he's a little too wild out there sometimes. But as a sub-package pass rusher, he probably gives you what you want. So he's one that keeps comes to mind. The thing with Chaz Surratt that worries me is that he's still developing as a player. He's a phenomenal athlete. You know, getting off blocks is going to be an issue for him that he's got to keep working on. Now, he's never probably going to be a true stack-and-shed linebacker. But – um, and missed tackles last year were a big, big problem. The last couple of years, he did cut down on a little bit, but he's somebody who, again, you talk about special teams coverage ability, I think would be a natural for those, those units. And so, yeah, I guess as I kind of roll through their picks, I may be forgetting somebody in the, in the group here, but um, there may not be a lot that have that other than the, the, you know, the two guys, uh, Davis and Derisaw, who are going to be that kind of instant coffee type of prospect. Yeah, there's usually like one guy per year who gets a chance and then whether he, you know, shows something or not, who knows? And yep. I think there's several opportunities here. Like you said, with Wang Wu, if he shows that he can be a sub package type of player, they don't really do that a lot, but they have a new offensive coordinator. So maybe there's some ways to get him involved because of his insane speed or, you know, one of those pass rushers, if somebody steps up, then they're going to have an opportunity because right now there's a lot of competition there. So it will be fun to watch. And uh, of course we'll get together and we'll talk about these types of matters periodically. Uh, Always great to uh, connect with you. I, I had a, I did have a game set up for you, but we've just gone too long, but um, next time we'll play Viking seventh rounder or 1982 Chicago bear next time. <laughs> we'll do- I think you're going to say like, you know, member of 38 special or something like that. That might be the, the, the alternative game to that one. <laughs> we did have a camp body versus boy band member. At one point. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> yes. I can relate to either one. So whenever you want to do that, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. We'll do that next time. Uh, thanks. Thanks again, Eric. Always great to catch up with you and we'll do it again soon, buddy. You got it, buddy. Take it easy.